Hello, A24 Rocks fans. This is Eric Kiska hosting another episode of A24 on the Rocks for you. This week's movie is Cretia. I am drinking a Sterling Vintners Collection Pinot Noir. Or, uh, you know, as they would say, Pinot Noir. And up next, we have Kelly. Hey, this is Kelly. I'm drinking the same thing as Eric. It dawns on me that maybe this isn't the best movie to be sipping a glass of wine to, but we still aren't going to do that. Uh, After me comes Cole. Hey guys, it's Cole William Whitlaw Gibson. I am here drinking a nice triple malt Danish whiskey. It's pretty smooth. It's pretty delicious. Up next, we got my boy Blaze. Hey, what up? It's Blaze. It's Gerald Ryan the First. Uh, all good things have to come to an end. The last two reviews, I actually like got actual drinks, but I'm back to Miller Lite because I work from home today. Finally, we got my main man, Kevin. <laughs> good evening, world. This is Kevin K. Kahn-Kanacek. And tonight, I'm not feeling the greatest for multiple reasons, but we're going to leave it at that. And I'm drinking water. Uh, and it might be the first time on this podcast that I haven't been enjoying a nice adult beverage, which is a bit unfortunate. But as Kelly mentioned, this movie feels like the right time not to have an alcoholic beverage in my hand. So we're going to go ahead and soldier on with this nice, crisp styrofoam cup full of water. <laughs> well, I hope all of our fans uh, hope that you feel better soon, Kevin. This movie is called Cretia, and it was written and directed by Trey Edward Stoltz, uh, who also has done two other A24 films, It Comes at Night and Waves, which are two other very critically acclaimed films, just like this one is. Cretia stars Trey Edward Stoltz's real-life aunt, Cretia Fairchild, who uh, has had a long TV and movie career since the early 90s, but has never really hit it big. She's not a household name by any means. And then Stoltz himself also plays Cretia's son, Trey, in this film. And uh, everyone in this film, besides two people, were family members of Trey Edward Stoltz, and those two people were Bill Wise and Chris Dubeck. A little backstory on uh, how Stoltz came to make this film. Um, Although extremely personal, Cretia is not based on the life of the film's lead actress, who just so happens to share the same name as the titular protagonist. And from IndieWire.com, Cretia is a combination of addicts and different family members, Stoltz said, seated next to Cretia Fairchild and his actual mother. Uh, The relationship between my character and hers is very much inspired by the relationship I had with my biological dad who passed away a year ago from pancreatic cancer. Before he passed, I hadn't seen him for five plus years because of his issues with alcoholism and addiction. And then further on, uh, Stoltz also said he made this short uh, film when he was inspired to make a short after his cousin, who had been struggling for years with addiction, had a devastating relapse at a family reunion a month following the blowout. She overdosed. So there is a lot of uh, personal attachment to this project. Uh, it definitely you know, came from Stalta's own life, a lot of the inspiration for this film. And this is where I think I want to ask uh, something that I've been kind of reading about lately. Have any of you guys ever heard of uh, Death of the Author? No? 
So basically, there was this French literary critic in the mid-20th uh, century named Roland Barthes, and he created an idea of criticism in media, and this is uh, the definition of it from tvtropes.com. Death of the author is a concept from mid-20th century literary criticism. It holds that an author's intentions and biographical facts should hold no special weight in determining an interpretation of their writing. This is usually understood as meaning that a writer's views about their own work are no more or less valid than the interpretations of any given reader. So basically the idea is that the biography of an author, somebody who writes something, shouldn't really mean anything as much as it means to the viewer or reader themselves. Kevin, do you hold any weight in this idea or belief? Hmm. I mean, I honestly feel a little bit confused on on that description in the sense that um, our our biographer in this sense is our director, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so by I guess if you could rephrase that, I'm I am unclear and I want to answer it the best so way I can. I, I have another uh, good description here too. So books or you know in this. Uh, idea screenplays are meant to be read not written as so the ways uh the ways readers interpret them are as important or as real as the author's intention so basically the you know the author's intention behind writing something isn't as important as the reader believing uh what they get out of the novel or in this sense the screenplay interesting i think in this circumstance that the intent of the writer is as important, if not more important, than the way the viewer feels this. I feel that this movie um, really was a passion project for this for this particular guy who wanted to get all of the things in his own personal life out on paper in one way or another, where it was a therapeutic um, sensor or whatnot. Uh, his mom in real life is a therapist, which I thought was interesting, and so is his stepdad. So he was brought up in that role, uh, in that lifestyle where, where expressing your feelings was very important, uh, clearly. Uh, and he has found this outlet in film that he talks about having a young influence his entire life. And we get to see that. And it just happens to be that perfect moment in time with that passion project resulted in something so beautiful and attachment that the viewer can feel exactly what our director was trying to do. So it's one of those perfect things where they're mirroring each other, and I think it's really unique. Gotcha. Uh, Kelly, what do you think about that idea, Death of the Author? As one of the two of us who have actually been in uh, art school, you know, what What if somebody put up a piece of uh, pa- a painting and they were to tell you, like, my intentions in this painting don't mean anything, what do you get from it? I think that in all, like, postmodern art, this is a part of what makes it good. Um, And I think that it's another way of saying the same phrases, separating art from the artist. And what does that mean in this day and age? What did it mean back then? Like when Duchamp put a urinal in the middle of a museum, does everyone remember his name or do they remember what he did? But when Kanye does what Kanye does, does anyone want to listen to his music in public or don't they? So it raises all kinds of questions. I find it interesting that you want to start it off this way. After telling us the biography of the person who put this film together, you want to tell yeah. us to then remove that and then take our own interpretation Well, I'm wondering, after hearing all of that, does it like matter as much? Like, Does his background matter when you watch the film? Does it matter no. at all? I'm in the house. No, absolutely of, not. And it doesn't even mean like 
you don't have to say that we went to art school to figure this out. <laughs> but well, no, I'm I'm just saying like you you've been in classrooms where you literally sit around in a circle and people give each other criticism about what somebody else made, and that's very unique. Yeah, uh, so a, a my... unique school setting. It wasn't meant to be pretentious. I'm sorry <laughs> if it came off that way. <laughs> my mindset yeah. is definitely art is an art until it's interpreted by other people. So whether or not that means the artist then is removed, I think that that part's kind of just a a moot point. I think that it's like for everybody and the way that it's interpreted is part of what makes it a piece of art. Okay. Yeah, I absolutely enjoyed it without having any idea on the research because I found out after the fact and I was like, oh man, now that makes a lot of sense. It does add another element though, but you know, that's that's why I asked the question. Of course. So um, to fund this film, he actually created a Kickstarter campaign to try to raise $10,000 he ended up getting $14,260 from 64 different backers, and that's how I made this film. And so this was a true low-budget film, and uh, the movie was made and it had its premiere at South by Southwest Festival on March 16th, 2015, and it will later be distributed by 824 on March 18th, 2016. So... What is this film about? Well, simply put, it's about a woman who, for some reason, has been estranged from her family coming to her family's Thanksgiving. And I'm going to start with Blaze here. Um, The opening shot is obviously a stunning portrait of the main character, this woman. What kind of emotions did that opening portrait of her give you? Uh, Yeah, so I'm a real big sucker for unedited long shots. Um, Ever since I saw Goodfellas, uh, it just just captivates me, and I'm surprised that more movies don't do it. The way that this movie started off, it was shrouded in mystery, like you said. Like, you don't know why she's, like, going to this house. She goes to the wrong house. You can kind of tell, like, she's kind of like a fuck-up. And then she goes to the house, and it's, like, a very strained relationship. She doesn't know her niece's uh, husband. She doesn't know anything about the baby outside of, like, it's a baby. Um, and then her and Trey immediately give off this just, you know, you could feel it in the the way the camera moved. It really showed the emotions of how everyone was acting. And I really feel like it was just, like, uh, expertly done. I couldn't have done it any better myself. And it kept you guessing, because even after the first, like, half hour, you really didn't know what this movie was about. Um, so I think the... Uh, the director did a great job at not showing his hand until he needed to, and he let us get to know Cretia and her family in a way that, you know, you kind of get to know your own family. You only you almost begin to feel like part of them. You see the two guys, uh, the two younger kids doing arm wrestling and wrestling in the backyard, and, uh, you know, like I said, there's a lot <laughs> there's a lot going on, especially in the beginning of the movie, but I just loved the uh, chaotic camera work, and it felt very real and organic, mm-hmm. so I really loved the... Uh, authenticity of the uh, beginning of the film. Cole, uh, what kind of emotions did that opening portrait of Cretia give you? My exact notes are what a bold start with a very horror movie vibes. It like, it straight up felt like, I, you know, I didn't know what this movie was besides something about Thanksgiving. Kind of went into it not knowing, haven't seen it before. So when it started off like that, I was like, man, this is like is she is this gonna turn into just like a straight up horror movie where she's just gonna snap and start killing everybody like what i don't know i was um it's very unsettling is the way that it i, I guess unsettling. i would describe it and you know it, it it did a very good job honestly setting the stage with that single shot to 
kind of stretch that out throughout the whole film of just like you know something's wrong or something's kind of off it's everything's a little unsettling and it uh, uh, very stressful film yeah for sure <laughs> you know whenever a film opens up with you know the main character staring right at you i i think a clockwork orange uh just mm-hmm. you know yeah. alex delarge just smirking at the screen with a glass of milk this was obviously very different though um so uh before we know anything more about Kresha and the family, like the very, you know, first couple scenes, Kevin, does she feel like a family member you know? Like not, you don't have to point out anybody specific, but does this family feel like your average upper middle class family is what I'm oh, asking. Yeah. yeah. One of the earliest notes that I took is this feels like every Thanksgiving or Christmas uh, of my life mm-hmm. in, in the sense that there's very, very real elements in it that you can latch onto as a viewer right off the bat. This could be any family, like you said, in any Midwestern town, anywhere in the you know the whole world, for that matter, like there there are elements that each thing brings you around. Um, as far as the the actual heavier elements to this, um, there are people in my life that I can kind of pull some of this uh, examples from and pull some of the realism from. But I, I definitely felt a connection to these people in this place immediately upon this film um and that definitely kept me interested uh, as the rest of it went on cole same to you uh you know before we know more about Kresha and the family i'm not you know trying to ask like do you have any addicts in your family i'm <laughs> more asking you know like when we start out this film this family gathering does it feel kind of like your average upper middle class family did you feel relation to a lot of this yeah i mean i think they like nailed the general vibe of like a big like family get together very similar to like my family whenever we got together for like thanksgiving or like our like extended family christmas and stuff like that it's just like you know kind of a chaotic thing where there's people everywhere you know you're catching up and all that stuff and then you know there's certain family members that you know maybe aren't welcomed anymore (laughs) and uh you know when when they do show up eventually um you know, kind of a, a weird awkwardness settles and, you know, you're trying to rebuild some of those relationships that were lost at some point along the way for various reasons. You know, this guy, he nailed it. I mean, obviously, he has, you know, experience with it and understands the emotion and stuff, but he being able to take that and capture it and put it into film the way he did was was pretty awesome pretty amazing and and at the same token i hated it i hated it (laughs) feeling that way i hated the whole thing i was just like i can't fucking i don't want i don't i don't want to be here anymore but obviously that's (laughs) why he nailed it i was just like i just want to you know turn (laughs) off and fucking go back to sitting Mm -hmm. in my room alone and be left alone yeah play play some video games i don't want (laughs) to feel anymore (laughs) you know yeah i just I felt like he did such a good job of, I think Blaze said earlier, not showing his hand too quickly. Because uh, I, I felt like a lot of these characters were relatable, and it felt like a normal fam- family gathering, and then it just breaks in more and more and more until we will get to the chaotic parts near the end. But as, uh, yeah, Kelly? I think that that character building right at the start, too, was unlike any movie that I've seen. Like, going even past just the staring in her face while she's, like, bubbling with emotion, staring back at us. Like, the Mm -hmm. horror start. But then the way that we're introduced to her with the mystery that we have is just we are a camera kind of panning behind her as if Mm -hmm. she's a video game character. While she's talking to herself and mumbling and not knowing exactly where she's going and her dog's left in the car and it really sets the emotion and the tone 
and it builds her character in like no time at all even from her skirt sticking out of the car before she gets out of it mm. it's like i know who we're like i have an idea of this character that we're going to end up following then the formality yeah. of the family like saying hello to her and all the craziness but even before that i think that the character building like immediately is unlike any movie that i've seen in the way that they kind of introduced her yeah definitely and blaze i'm gonna go back to you for cinematography like that's you know it's such a notable part of this film i think you got those spinning camera shots the uh tracking shots and also these slow zoom ins uh behind people's like at the back of their head you know that those were definitely some of the things i noted how did this cinematography make you feel I loved it. I mean, that that was uh, that and the sound. Uh, we're probably gonna talk about the sound later, but that the cinematography was probably my favorite part about the movie. Just the way that it mimics what a uh, real life family get together would be like. There's people moving around. There's people watching the football game, and then you know from behind, there's the uh, niece doing the laundry, and she comes up from behind in such a like. Even though that the hallway is right behind you, she comes out in a way that like she would actually sneak up on you. So. I think they did a really just fantastic job of, especially uh, Krisha, who in the entire movie, especially in the beginning, the entire beginning of the movie, she's walking on eggshells, and you don't know why, and the way that the camera moves with her, because the camera mainly focuses on her and and how she's perceiving, um, you know, the games that are being played, the uh, cousin rivalries, the uh, neurotic uh, brother-in-law, Dr. Doyle, who is one of my favorite characters of A24 now. (laughs) His unhingedness. Um, And I I really like the way that, like, it wasn't necessarily in chronological order because they kept breaking to her having, like, cigarette breaks uh, in between the... the, she's, She's making a turkey dinner for everyone, for very important to her. And it cuts between, you know, her making phone calls to a mystery man, her talking to Doyle, and the way that the camera just, like, works with the, A, the chaoticness of the holidays, and B, the nervousness that she's obviously showing, you know, around her son and around the rest of the family members. Yeah, it's top-notch. Like, the cinematography, everyone else needs to take notes. It, It was honestly breathtaking. Yeah. So, yeah, let's get into the sound. You you touched on that a little bit, but uh, Kevin, I felt like this music was almost like Mark Mothersbaugh-y, like a grown-up Rugrats soundtrack at the start, like lots of random percussion, a lot of unique instruments. Uh, Kevin, what do you take away from the music and sound in this movie? Uh, I absolutely loved it. It really made the awkward moments feel even more awkward. Um, there was a really cool part in that scene that we were just talking about when um, she's getting into the kitchen and starting to prep that turkey, where the the piano being plucked mimics the sound of dishes being hit or people opening and closing cabinets. And the intricacy of that original score by uh, Brian McGomber was so cool because even this low budget film that we get with a bunch of family members is still using unique and um, original music and mixed it in with some other things like when we get that jazz number later on in the uh, film which was also really cool and that was a Nina Simone piece called Just in Time uh, when we get that vinyl screen and just the way that they made like I already mentioned that that the awkward moments got even added to it and we mentioned earlier that horror opening and how this 
film really does have a ton of horror aspects to it, and largely in part because of some of the soundtrack choices, where we get some of those high anxiety, high strings, like our classic you know horror soundtracks. And in general, it just moved it along for me. And even the absence of sound in some of those parts, um, where we get the... Uh, the roaring of the guys watching the football game or some of the silent moments in between our characters even the lapse or absence of sound in the background really amplified those moments as well and it kind of made for an even more unique viewing experience um, i loved it and i thought that it really made uh, the perspective viewing just even that much better mm-hmm. cole same question to you uh the sound what'd you get from it yeah, so my biggest takeaway, you know, I'm not the most um, musically in tune person on this podcast. <laughs> I like music. Uh, if you ask me to, like, you know, name a song and some of that, I'm not going to remember it. However, the biggest takeaway I had was um, when, like Kevin touched on, they used the absence of sound, where mm-hmm. they just, like, again, it just stressed me out where they do these like long stretches where there's no music and just like silence or just like the the chaos of of everything around them with the the all the family members and then it cuts to the cigarette smoking the conversations then cuts back and and a lot of that stuff and then the the random plucking that keeps things going and making me feel uneasy and i don't know you just like the way that they use the sound never let you i guess settle in the movie where you just feel always on edge or to the point where again i just kind of stress me out man i i completely agree uh kelly there used to be this website and it might still be around and it was called drowning simulator <laughs> watching this movie was like anxiety simulator with the noise i'm um anxiety prone and i'm also very sensitive to sounds especially if i'm already feeling like tense so the way that this movie depicted that i was just kind of blown away and we're talking about when the sound finally like slows down it was when she's outside she's smoking a cigarette and then the absence of sound becomes just as powerful as the rugrats theme as eric's calling it i love that (laughs) But I want to not jump ahead necessarily, but also point out in the conversation that she has with the brother-in-law, who's a whole character of his own, and I'm sure we're going to get to him. Mm -hmm. There's parts where she's even laughing in conversation with him, and it was quiet, and then the sound comes back up again. Because what I'm hearing from that score is she's not really laughing, she is freaking out. And that's just the power of sound right there, and I think that the... The cinematography and the sound of this movie is what just, like, sets it apart. It would have been a very different movie without these two elements. Totally. And, yeah, so now I kind of want to get into the relationships with the family members, which slowly start to unravel throughout this whole movie. Let's start with the brother-in-laws of uh, Cretia. The doctor, Dr. Becker, obviously has a very short temper and is really bad with technology, and he does karate to to quell his anxiety. And the other guy, his name is Doyle, uh, and he is kind of the... No bullshit, middle-aged man who, I have to have an honest word for everyone. I'm going to corner you at the party, and I'm going to tell you what I think about you, and you better fucking agree with me, or I'm going to fucking kill you. And, you know, if you get in a room with him and have a conversation with him, he's always going to mix humor with comments that are supposed to put you on the spot. Uh, What did you think of these two guys? I'm going to give it first a blaze. Uh, more importantly, how how did you think they made Cretia feel? 
I eat leather and shit saddles. Uh, <laughs> God damn it, was, I was going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because um, uh, Dr. Becker and Doyle, um, they both kind of played the same character, but different polar opposites of how they, I wouldn't say attack Kreisha, but they're definitely very apprehensive of why she's even there because they both care very much about Trey. And they both know that she has abandonment issues and addictions. So the way that Dr. Becker takes it is I, I feel like that's more of like what my family would do, where they'd kind of be like silently apprehensive about it and this kind of like not be direct about it at all. But, you know, just giving them the stink eye the entire time. And that's almost worse. But uh, like you said, Doyle has this like weird guy at the bar who's had like five too many drinks and he's about to tell you about you know everything wrong with joe biden whether you like it or not <laughs> i did really enjoy his character a lot um i thought their uh conversations the like kelly said their conversation the way they went from like almost lighthearted about the dogs into like really deep shit like i mean she had just been there for a couple hours and he's like quit tiptoeing around the daisies where have you been what's going on so i really feel like they were I wouldn't say they're the antagonists of the film, but they come off they both come off very antagonistic towards her. And the more you get into the movie, the more you realize maybe they were more right than they both let on at the beginning. So two very strong characters. The two strongest characters outside of Kreisha, in my opinion. Yeah, Cole, what do you think Doyle would think of inflation and gas prices? <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, what, what do you, uh, Doyle and Doctor Bepper, Doctor Becker, <laughs> these two guys. What did you think of their characters, and especially how they treated Tricia too, uh, and how Tricia kind of goes throughout the film, responding to the anxiety these two guys are giving her. Yeah, um, I think like Doyle when he first kind of started taking the stage with the smoke break conversations and stuff i really liked him and i thought i thought he was gonna be um kind of a positive light to this film but then it took a very i don't know harsh turn very quickly that i was not expecting and was not when that happened i kind of started feeling bad for her to the point where uh you know when everything starts shaking out i kind of understand why she had like snapped i mean they like confronted her or he confronted her and uh, i just i don't know at the end i really didn't like him and the other guy you know he he wasn't like direct with her but he was also very kind of an asshole and very judgmental but you know you later find out for good reason so um do i think either of them are good people you know it's it's all family's complicated, man. Mm-hmm. It's it's a hard question. It's a hard thing to figure out, but I think they portrayed a very realistic depiction of like family going through and dealing with people with addiction and stuff. For sure, uh, Kelly. What what did you think of Doyle and Doctor Be- Becker? Uh, I just wanted to get give one last question to you before we move on from these two. Yeah, Doyle. You could tell right away that he was going to be. Okay, I'll get to you, Kevin. A guy because of. The way that he was walking away with his phone, the way if when football was playing, he's telling everyone to shut up. And it was like one of the few times all of the high school and college boys weren't being crazy rowdy is because dad's got TV on now. 
But his conversation with her outside, I know we've already touched on it, but I just feel like it needs to be brought up again. The way that it goes from kind of friendly to, hey, I'm a saint for even putting up with your sister, by the way. And you're a problem just like your sister. And what is your problem? The thing that he said about her being a wounded bird, but the cars are getting faster and your wings are getting weaker, that really stuck with me. That was quite a thing to say. And the way that the camera was pointed at her while he was speaking these things, I also kind of thought she was imagining it at first, until it does pan over and show that those words are really coming out of his mouth. And man, are they cruel, and man, are they right away. So... He left me with my jaw on the floor, and then that continues on into the rest of the movie. With Dr. Becker, or Dr. Bepper, which has been making me laugh. (laughs) Um, He, with his technology issues, I think we all know a family member like that, too. And so that just kind of goes on further, where you can really just kind of place yourself in this family a little bit. So he was also a very interesting character. It's amazing to me how much they could shell him out by mostly his scenes were just from Kresha kind of peeking into a room while he's talking to his wife or talking to his uh, nephew slash son. So the way that they kind of shelled him out was impressive to me as well. Um, so, Kevin, do you, do you want to talk about Dr. Bepper yeah. and uh, Doyle too? <laughs> Is there only a couple things I want to add to this since you guys have touched on all of it? <laughs> So the actor for our uh, Doyle character uh, is Bill Weiss, uh, who happens to actually be one of the only other actors uh, who had any credits in this film. And it kind of shows, honestly. He um, he did a very good job. And I was watching some interviews, and it turns out that that entire outside scene is complete improv between those mm. two, which is really, I, su- I swear. Yeah. And it looks back on it, I'm like, What? That makes perfect sense in the sense that the writing of the rest of this film is very organic related to the family interactions. And I think that is just his acting chops and his ability to come up with some of those lines. And I think that just makes it so much more. I mean, Blaze, you already quoted one. He Other things in here he talks about, like, I'm fucking Superman. You know, the line about your heartbreak incarnate. Mm-hmm. I was just mm-hmm. like, that, that hit so hard. And it really is a massive trigger for for our main character and the rest of this film. We have people in our lives that have that kind of influence on us, whether they want to or not, and they may not even know what they're doing in in that sense. Eric, you asked about what we thought those characters did to our to, to Krishna or to Krisha, and I think that it's incredibly important because they're not only characters, but they're also uh, what could have been in her life. Mm-hmm. She could have had a supportive partner that stayed with her through the thick and thin, through the hard times. Her sister has that. She could have had a partner that was financially stable and someone who paid attention to the, the dynamics of work and take care of the kids, and she misses that. So those two men are incredibly important aspects to kind of continue to show what she missed out on and not having a stable family life, and it kills her to see it, and it just is a is a major major triggering thing so just brilliant performances by both men and the way that our director put them in those roles to bring out this character is was just even more of a brilliant choice i was also going to uh go to you about the director's choice to kind of slowly unravel this relationship with her son her son does not he doesn't talk a lot you know even that whole scene that Krisha first talks to him he, d- he doesn't talk very much at all he has very little info and it uh or he 
has very little background that we know of. And that scene, that first scene between them two, I think says so much about him without him even saying anything. Uh, do you agree? Yeah, 100%. Um, I took a note when he first walks into the house, how the energy just changes. Mm -hmm. Everything about the scene completely mm -hmm. just, oh, shit, Trey is here. And I wrote, who is he? Because I had no idea. Obviously, you have no idea at that point, And you mm -hmm. kind of just, like, are completely mesmerized by, like, who is this guy? Why did everybody just stop on a dime? And then you obviously come to realize it very, very quickly. But, yes, in that scene where he has zero eye contact, right, he's just staring ahead in that awkward conversation. And you can just hear her getting more and more desperate as the conversation is going. Like, um, are you mad at me? Like, please don't be mad at me. Like, you know how much I love you. You can just feel her panicking that she hasn't probably thought about this conversation for months if not years at this point and now it's finally happening and we're a fly on a wall in a very very real conversation that has probably happened millions of times in millions of households all over the country so it was absolutely brilliant it was a major selling point for me uh and just i felt so bad for that kid and i was just you know pretty heartbroken during that scene so Blaze, same question to you. Uh, the kind of slow unraveling of Trey as a character. What did you think of that? Yeah, like uh, I said at the beginning, um, and Kevin just echoed it, uh, the way that um, we didn't know the whole story. We really don't know the whole story even at the end of the movie. But the way that, you know, she like cautiously comes up to him the way that she's always watching him when he's like, you know, playing games or like with his cousins, like you can tell that he's someone in her life. And the fact that they wait until like the 45, 50 minute mark to like, hey, we need to talk. You're my son. Uh, I thought that was very, um, a very wise choice by the director because that's kind of the beginning of the end for the film. Um, that's where everything starts going downhill. And I know he's the director, brilliant director. He is not a great actor, so I'm glad he didn't talk that much. There's a part at the end where he goes, fuck you, you're not my mom, and he said it like, that's the best take. That was pretty awful. Um, but, I, again, I go back to the cinematography and the sound design, because she's talking to him, and like she, during the first half of their conversation, it sounds like she's getting through to him, and then like that, that plucky music starts building up, and she's like, why aren't you even looking at me? Why aren't you talking to me? And then you can just see the resentment in his in his voice and his tone. And the way the camera was shot like on their side at first, it's like, oh, well, maybe he's looking at her. And then you sort of notice, especially like if you like rewind it back, he wasn't looking at her at one at one time. And just the brilliance of, you know, to do that, where we're talking about the cinematography, you know, if this was an any other movie, it would be an A B, you know, camera scene. And they would just be talking. You wouldn't really understand. But the way that Eric said it's not a static camera, it's it's a chaotic camera, it really shows a lot while not showing you anything. And that's I like their uh, relationship, how it performed through the camera and through the uh, sounds that the movie produced. For sure. Uh, Kelly, Cole, do you got anything to add on Trey? Or, yeah, Kelly? Yeah. Um, that scene to me, I found myself both on both of their sides in a way. I think that my big takeaway from this, because Blaze already kind of brought up the camera angles and the score and how the tension just like changes halfway through and you realize what's actually going on. You think maybe the ice is thawing and then you realize, nope, it's thickening actually. What did we say? Like 40 minutes into the movie, I already took away this huge like takeaway, which not every movie is going to give you, but 
it was just like this power of forgiveness. And I think we've all been the person asking for it. And I think we're all, all have been the person to give it, whether we are ready or not. But you have this like power over somebody else until you do, until you're ready to give it. So the fact that they were able to make me feel so much with that scene right away is just another huge takeaway from it. And it makes you kind of want to adjust some of your relationships with people. At least I felt that way immediately. So good job. For sure. All right. So now I kind of want to focus on the turkey for a second. Uh, that turkey <laughs> is a very important character in this film, too. Yes. Uh, the our first introduction to Mr. Turkey is uh, Krisha is digging out the turkey as her nephew just stares in disgust. Uh, Cole, why focus on how disgusting it is to dig out a turkey? <coughs> well, <laughs> uh, Mr. Turkey. <laughs> you know, the way that they shot that scene uh, was, was, you know, again, just like continues with the just unsettling weird stressful unnecessary like just like kind of i don't know pisses me off and the fact like the worst part like you know we're digging out guts out of the turkey whatever that happens but the part where she's dig- goes in like with her hand that's missing the tip of her finger with the bandage on it and it comes out the bandages isn't there and then has to go back in and dives out pulls up the bandage like right there that's like okay well this turkey's you know Look at it. That's a loss. Like, no reason you should be doing that. Uh, but yeah, I, I, uh, when I saw that scene, I was just like, oh my god, that like once, once she went with that hand, I was just like, there's no going back. That turkey's fucking a strong gone. hand. No, no, no. <laughs> but you know, you know, thankfully, thankfully so, that uh, hands. I think know, that that, tur- uh, that turkey was put in there for the same exact reasons that the soundtrack and the cinematography was put in there to pre create an anxiety inducing situation. I say that with all experience. I recently just did my first turkey for a big, huge family event this past Thanksgiving, and the amount of anxiety about the prep and the holding of everybody's dinner in your hands is very real it's absolutely real and the prepping of a bird that size is no joke like my wife talked about prepping our bird and brining process and all of that and it's heavy it's gross you have to pull all the insides out like it's a process so i think that the director to answer your original question focuses on that turkey to show how much effort she's initially trying to put in to this recovery to this reunion to the i want to be here for you and the family i want to do this it means so much to me and the anxiety of putting all of that together i mean it was just it was a brilliant choice brilliant execution and i just thought it was just a really subtle way to just completely add another layer onto this film kelly would would you think that maybe this turkey it might be even more than uh a way for the audience to feel anxiety is the turkey maybe a metaphor for anything? A leading question, Your Honor. <laughs> no, I think Stop it's railroading the, us. <laughs> it's the turkey of redemption. You hope that it's going to make everything okay in the end. She's putting in all the work. So as long as the turkey mm-hmm. comes out okay, everything will be all, Everything else will be okay. Right? Yep. Right? Well, yeah. She fucked it up from the beginning, so... Please? <laughs> Yeah, so I do agree that the turkey is a metaphor. It's a metaphor for um, the road to recovering from addiction because it, just like a turkey, a turkey takes hours to make, 
You have to get all the ingredients right, and it's it's a process. It's not something that you can just like throw in the oven and it's done. So the turkey is a metaphor for how much work it takes into battling addiction. It's every day. You got to wake up. You got to look at a bottle and say, "I can't do that." You got to look at drugs. You say, "I can't say that," and then it can all go away in one second. It, it just takes one, just you know, missing the table or something like that. Uh, and that's the uh, same way that it treats addiction. Um, especially when they really put, you know, the, the rest of the family could have helped her make the turkey. Like, there was no reason why they shouldn't have. And they left it all to her own, just like they left her addiction to her own. So yeah, good. When, the turkey, when the turkey falls, they blame her and they move on with their they lives. They clean it up and just tell way... her to go away. Yep. Yep. Uh. So... <laughs> So yeah, let's let's get into kind of uh, Kresha's downslide now. Uh, I, I feel like we all kind of had sympathy for her before before this. That that was going to be one of my questions: is did you have sympathy for her before her kind of downslide and her relapse? And I, I definitely think we all kind of said we had some kind of sympathy for her. that scene of her, you know, eventually dropping the turkey. It starts. We, we know that something's different when she goes into the bathroom and she gets out the wine. And uh, that chugging of the wine in slow motion to Nina Simone, Just in Time, that uh, Kevin pointed out earlier. And it was a live track of it, too. So there was uh, a clap at the start that was very jarring. And Stoltz definitely used uh, close-up tilted camera shots to show her getting more and more demented, just kind of peeking around the corner at the turkey. That was so awesome how he did that uh, to portray her like that. And Cole, what did you think of the director's choice to portray this sequence of events the way he did with the music juxtaposing it? Um, I think the, you know, after she pounded that bottle of wine and like the just the change of how things were were filmed and kind of presented were done in such a i guess a fashion or a way that just like exacerbated every situation that occurred and like made everything you know i was already stressed out i i I don't care i guess i haven't said it enough this movie stressed me the fuck out i did not like this movie because of that but like when it reached that it was just like he just ratcheted up another notch to the point where um you knew you knew that like shit was about to go down you knew things were gonna go poorly you knew just the way that she was like skulking around and like kind of creeping around corners and then they would like kind of flash back to her drinking more you know the bottle of wine and just kind of going all over it was it seemed almost like before it was chaotic but this time it was more it was still chaotic, but even like faster and more insane, just the way that things were going and what was going to happen. And it was all culminating to, you know, the, the turkey scene. And I can't say enough for this guy. I mean, he knows how to direct a movie that makes you feel a certain way, for sure. For sure. Uh, Kevin, uh, same question to you. That Just that sequence of events of her first going into the bathroom to her dropping the turkey. What did you yeah. think of that? <laughs> I, I honestly, it was so hard to watch her going into the bathroom and fully relapsing and giving into that moment it hurt it hurt to watch and when we get that slow-mo scene of her guzzling it down you can literally see the release on her face as the alcohol is like coming back in like that sweet feeling that going back to that warm sense of release 
and for someone who wasn't very mainstream or still who isn't, this actress did such a phenomenal, phenomenal job. And maybe it was the writing and the directing that put her in that situation, but the dialogue is absent. We are left with these close-ups of her head with the clear direction that we're supposed to infer what is she thinking? What is she in that moment struggling to do without her words and the emotion that she's putting through? We get that slow-mo view of the bird hitting the ground. And as Blaze was talking about it earlier and the analogy of the turkey and comparison the the family not helping, in that moment, if one person would have grabbed that tray the way they did earlier in the film. We get a very clear view of that turkey being moved by two people across the kitchen. And we don't get that now. And that's because her family, like Blaze had alluded to, isn't there in that moment when she needs him the most. And it's unfair to blame Trey as a triggering agent for not recepting that conversation, not receiving that conversation well. But that's what happens in real life. Something that you maybe not expect to trigger something just causes you to downward spiral and go off on the complete deep end we haven't really referred to it much but the abusive um, a boyfriend or the abusive relationship that she clearly has left i think it's maybe her drug dealer honestly like the way that she leaves him and calls about needing that sweet you know hit of your voice or something along those lines it's just all of those little bits that continue to to add it so i know i elaborated a little bit too much there but yeah the turkey scene brilliant slow-mo and and really 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 love the the close-up shots and all the other elements for sure uh kelly same to you yeah with the <laughs> score that was our first time hearing jazz too we go from the rugrat and rugrats not to not do it justice <laughs> but you know what i'm talking about when i say it growing up rugrats yeah but we go from that and the silence to jazz finally hits when she both acts it, and the camera work turns both a little bit more comfortable. The scenes don't become as jarring. The sound and the lights aren't as jarring. And there's this, like, she's comfortably numb, basically, is where she gets to. And we already talked about the turkey scene. The analogy was pointed out. Kevin made great points, too. But I felt like the way that it was shot, when she was pulling it out, I think all of us were like, she's going to drop it. And then she gets it to the counter, and then it starts to spill, and the camera moves to that spilling, and I'm like, oh good, someone's actually going to help her. It's going to go a different way than I think, oh no, it's getting more, oh no, and it is. It's like one person needed to step in, maybe two, like they did before. So Kevin, you totally nailed that, and I just wanted to even riff off of that, because that was like the biggest point that I wrote down, was the way that the turkey falls and all that it means for this movie is just incredible. Who else would have ate that turkey? When it was on the ground. I mean, I, I think everyone here would have. Although a Not house everyone. with 14 dogs. Uh, yeah, 14 we're, we're dogs vegan. House, but, you know, so. if we weren't <laughs> vegan, I would have ate that turkey. Yeah, grab a leg. No big deal. <laughs> Her hand was be- stuffed inside with the leg. The it's the five-minute rule, right? Hmm. Oh, I was going to talk about triggers. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. So we talked about Trey, but her mom is there, too. And yep. her mom's oh, there yeah. from some kind of memory care. I was going to get to her, yep. Yeah, but that's also a huge thing that's going on for her as well. And the way that also they touch on the way that she dresses, like, very, like, quite more formal than everyone else in the family. They touch on that. The way that she can't find a corkscrew, so she uses scissors to push the cork down of the wine. Like, all these little things are touched on and just impeccable attention to detail and 
showing all of this kind of situation. Hmm. I think we're, I want to come back to the, the grandma or the mom. I want to get into the final downslide after the turkey scene. Uh, Blaze, when when she first wakes up after the turkey uh, falls, we get this slap in the face, like, out of nowhere that, like, it kind of, like, j- made me jump back a little bit. I was like, where did that hand come from? And then she actually wakes up, and then it's her calling her boyfriend or ex-boyfriend or maybe drug dealer, and she tells him he's dead to her, and then she tries to sit down at the table, she goes back to upstairs to drink some more, do more pills, and then we have this final ultimate lashing out at everyone. Uh, what did you think of just kind of, it, it was her, a complete relapse, an absolutely devastating relapse. What did you think of how they portrayed this? In a sentence, uh, Requiem for a Turkey. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was very, 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 very hard, emotional to watch. I think like, cause the way they cut it, especially, and again, I, I hate to keep going back to the cinematography, but it's just. It's just top tier. The the way she's silhouetted against uh, Trey's like third birthday or whatever, and she puts in the um, uh, VHS tape of it, and you can see just her mentally just breaking down. The way you know she calls her whatever guy Richard, you know, and just bears it all to him, even though that he really didn't do anything but not pick up, and then. Her poor dog Dingo gets shaken. <laughs> I, I just oh, think yeah, they hit fuck. all. They hit all the beats. It's crazy because her the first time she comes downstairs, her sister puts her aside, and they have a real heart to heart, and it ultimately goes nowhere because, you know, she, again I I'm gonna talk about it at the end end, but at the end they just put her back upstairs to her own devices. Uh, you know, maybe if the family actually cared, they'd check the room to make sure there was no more alcohol, there was no uh, drugs that would, like, you know, make her more inebriated. Uh, but they kind of let her fester in her own room. And then that big blow up at the end, I think it was actually almost cathartic for Kresha. Um, I think Kresha finally realized that the people that she should be counting on are not there for her, and they would rather uh, live their own idyllic lives than deal with her. I don't blame Trey at all for that, but I do feel like the family, the the way that it just cold cuts and then it goes back onto her face, it really leaves everything unresolved and she's not getting any help. The family isn't any better off for it. So the way that it ended was incredibly devastating, incredibly depressing. I wish I had a blood pressure machine because it would have exploded. Perfect. It was perfect. The ending was uh, perfect except for Trey's acting. The way he said, fuck you, you're not my mom. It was... Like, I don't know, like, uh, Sweet 16 bad. But other than that, I, I really enjoyed the uh, ending. It was it's, it was a 20 minute, so I'm trying to wrap it up. But, um, yeah. yeah, it was it was it was phenomenal. For sure. Yeah, I you know, I this whole ending just seems like one big, long scene to me. So that's why I'm asking this all in one question. Uh, but, Cole, what did you think of that sequence of events, the relapse of Kreisha? Uh I think... The uh, kind of the portrayal of uh, the family realizing what what she's done and basically kind of shunning her to the upstairs room and to not come back down. And then when she does come back down and like you can see that the whole family's having a good time until the immediately when they see her, it just everything, everything stops. The fun stops. Everything goes back to being terrible. And, and you know, the whole basically, you know, she's. She is the the problem with the family in terms of how it's like 
portrayed, and obviously she's not helping the situation. Uh, the part with the dog was definitely the worst part because it was like super. I mean, I obviously it looked like she really did that. Uh, mm. I, you know, obviously it didn't necessarily harm the dog, but man, oh man, does that kind of put that whole you know my that frame of mind and you know to you with her and how she treats the dog or you know how addiction can affect people to do terrible things to things they love like obviously she cared about that dog and then you know she started drinking and did something pretty atrocious and same thing goes with her family and stuff like it was hard 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 man what Mm -hmm. a what a hard hard movie to watch I should also say it might be a pu- her first like public relapse in a while because those pills uh, that she was taking at the start of the movie and kind of throughout the movie, you could tell those weren't just normal pills. Like she was yeah. uh, eating Sunday's pills and it was a you know th- on Thanksgiving on a Thursday. You know, yeah. so the <laughs> bottle was a mismatch of like different shaped pills yep. too. That's what I, I was, noticed like, that. I noticed say. that part. Yeah, and then she s- makes a comment to Doyle like. Uh, you know, all these pills are actually legal, you know, and mm-hmm. you wouldn't specify that unless uh, they were probably illegal. So. I, do a, I have yeah. a conspiracy theory on that, yeah, Kevin. Thing, by the way. Uh, I'll do my little conspiracy spinoff quick, and then I'll talk about the ending. Um, yeah. I think that she had an incredibly serious, serious drug problem to the point where um, that finger injury of hers, uh, I think probably, this is my conspiracy, comes from uh, a drug dealer or someone looking to get money Very back possible. from her. That's what I, was thinking um, I think that's the Richard. Uh, I think the Richard character um, is also the hand that chokes her out in that moment or that, that opening scene. I think that's something else related. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really think that if she did have that super, super bad of a problem where she was in dangerous situations and people in her life, that would absolutely explain why her son wasn't allowed to be essentially with her or why she didn't feel like she could be a mother in that instance, especially if she's 60 years old. Like that's gotta be a lifelong habit of some serious shit. Cole, what do you think? I, I love where your head is at, and I think it is partially true. However, uh, she did lose her tip of her finger before filming this like movie in real life. So, did, you know. wait, was so, there a reason why, or did you uh, she, read why? Yes, so I read why uh, she missed she lost a portion of her finger trying to break up a dog fight shortly before filming, and actually tried to back out due to the injury. But um, that she was later like agreed to stay on after obviously talking with her. What, and nephew. so much for the character, yeah. 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 And I thought, yeah. and again, it's one of those things where yeah. like that was not planned on, right? And it was something that occurred in real life, and this cool. fucking Trey yeah. guy fucking nailed it and brought brought that into the fold as a part of her character and a part of the story with the turkey and all this stuff and i think kevin you know is on the right track with with that being a part of the story but how that wasn't even a part of the original you know screen until something terrible happened to her in real life so and that, i mean that kind of goes with some of the improv elements we see in throughout oh, this yeah. film like and, and imagine being an actor in that and trying to direct everyone else around you as you're thinking about your role in that film as well. Mm-hmm. Like That blows my mind. Uh, but a quick aside on the ending here. Um, I think that it's really unique because this is the family's fear. What we're seeing is something that they have talked about and thought about in their heads a thousand times getting ready for this meal. They talk about uh, Krishna's sister being the Krishna's sister being the one who sticks out her neck for her and says like I you I'm vouching for you while no one else in the family believes that she can do it and that outburst is exactly what they were afraid was going to happen 
and we see it in all of its glory. And maybe even she knew it was going to happen. And one way or another, we kind of get that. So, yeah, it was just brilliant. And all the emotions were on the table, 100%. So, Kelly, you mentioned the mother earlier. We get the full picture of the relationship with the son kind of at the ending. Like, I don't think we really, really knew for sure who raised Trey until the very ending when uh, the sister, you know, owns up to say, you know, I raised this boy and Trey just said, like, no, you know, you're not my mother. And the mother, though, what did you think of the writer's choice to not not fully explain Kreisha's relationship with the mother? Uh, we get these close-up shots of her mother at the end, but she kind of remains an enigma throughout the film. Uh, Kelly, what did you think of the mother there? Uh, and why why did you think she uh, the writer chose to make her such a mystery? I think that a huge part of Kreisha's character is making amends, not only to try to have a spot in her son's life again and within the family again, who has clearly kind of moved on without her. There's not really a spot for her, though they do let her make the turkey, but there's an allegory behind it. Regardless, the mom is a huge part because it seems from the context clues we're given, they don't usually take mom out of the nursing home for Thanksgiving, but it's because of Kreisha's ask that she's going to come to the house for Thanksgiving. So her attempt to make amends one, it shows that the mom, she's she needs to be introduced to everybody as well. It's another person that the family has kind of pushed out because they've become inconvenient for them to interact with on a regular basis in a way. But also, the mom does kind of just this like forgetfulness rambling, which is completely amazing acting. I When we were watching it, I was like, Either she actually deals with these issues, or she's the best actor in this whole entire movie. But it's uh, it's actually a. She kind of touches when she sees Kreisha. <laughs> oh, really? She talks about oh, it is, yeah. <laughs> her her own relationship with her mom, and she is kind of all over the place. But you catch these glimpses of this is a problem that's generational. And when Kreisha's like speaking to her and just trying to say, "Mom, this or that," all that the mom wants to say is, "What did I do?" Like, mm-hmm. she's the only person who said that to her, too. And is she only like that because she's in her twilight years? Or was she always like that and she was too warm for her to handle? So it raises a lot of questions. And then it's always great to see an elderly person with a little baby. So we needed some of that heartwarming content in the movie to pull us through all of the trauma. Mm-hmm. Please? Yeah, I actually think that uh, because of... You know, the clear uh, memory problems and dementia and whatever else it is um, that the mother had. I think when she was talking about her mother, she was actually talking about herself. I think so, too. And that's why uh, Krisha got so uh, emotional, because she, her mom is so far gone that she doesn't know, like, probably the pressure she put her under. Because at least uh, her one sister, uh, we don't really get to know the other sister, but... Her one sister who talked to her, she seems like, you know, she has this beautiful house, a family, um, you know, her husband's a doctor, you know, like, so Krisha being the middle child, I'm sure she got a lot of flack for not uh, following in her uh, sister's footsteps. And now that she's all but gone mentally, um, I think it's manifesting in like, you know, not blaming yourself. Oh, it wasn't Mm -hmm. me that ruined my daughter. It was, you know my mom was hard on me so you know i could be hard on my daughter and as sweet as an old lady she was i think that like 
again, the stuff that you're not told, I think there's a lot of like stuff under the surface that you can extrapolate from um, about her. Kevin? In an extended interview with our writer and director, um, he revealed that this uh, elderly grandmother is part of the family as well, and that she actually does deal with um, dementia and memory problems. And um, they basically had to film multiple takes with her because they weren't really sure what they were going to get out of of her from from a word standpoint they knew that they were trying to direct her in a certain way with the conversation and i think they did a good job of doing that um but like kelly alluded to it's either a real life person or one of the best acting jobs we've ever seen and i think there's a combination of both in the sense that that writer director really made that character feel like they were you know put in that situation and were crafted these lines even though they were authentic um i thought that that was almost as important for Krisha to have that relationship with her mother as it was to reestablish her relationship with her son. I think that that whole thing together, it was just as important in her mind. And we alluded to that earlier when we were talking about triggers, how the failure for her mom to even recognize her, to really mm-hmm. even know who she is, is devastating. Like, absolutely devastating. And that's, again, because of her own choices, because of Krisha's own choices in her life to be absent in her family. And we've talked about family, too. But it was just so apparent, and it was a really good job, and I'm really glad they added that element to it. Um, I also thought it was interesting that they included that in the short, which eventually turned into this feature film. It was even more important to be in the 20-30 minute version um, than we obviously see its import later on as well. So, I definitely think that in that scene where we first meet the grandmother, there's uh, kind of a realization that life is very short, and you know people... If they get dementia towards the end of their life, too, uh, she was estranged from that family for so long, so she never really got to say goodbye to her mother Mm -hmm. in a way that she would actually know, you know, and I'm guessing she was estranged from her mother for so long that that's probably the, you know, first time she's seen her in forever and she's not really fully there. And so, yeah, it was quite heartbreaking to see that. And, you know, it's a reminder that life's short and got to keep in touch with those you love. Let's move on to the ratings. Unless we have any last uh, questions, comments? It was filmed hmm. in nine days. Blew my yeah, mind. nine days and at their house, too. Times. At the family home. Mm-hmm. Well, for that budget, I'm assuming it was someone's house. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sure. But I'm pretty sure it was the house that Trey was raised in, I think. Pretty yeah. freaking nice house. Oh, it's kind of, yeah, it was very hey, nice. both therapist doctors, apparently. Yeah. There you go. All right, uh, Kelly, let's start out with your rating. Okay, I'm actually going to keep it pretty short because I feel like I talked a lot on this episode. But we've talked about score. We've talked about cinematography. We've talked about acting and emotions. Are these not the four pillars on which a movie stands? And we've talked about them all, and I've had nothing but great things (laughs) to say. So with that and how much I've took away from this movie and how much that it's sticking with me these are things that i ask for in a movie as well and not that this part leans into it but for it to be a first like feature length film by our filmmaker like stunning coming out of the gate like ready for masterpieces it just like blows me away i really enjoyed this movie i know it's upsetting but i kind of I live for an upsetting movie sometimes, and the brave and realistic choice to end it the way that it did, too, if it was a redemption in the end, I don't know if I would rate it as highly as I'm going to, because I just 
wouldn't probably change anything about this. I think that my only thing is that sometimes it leans too far into trauma for the sake of trauma. There are, it's like a few scenes too many where it just becomes almost like gratifying to watch her suffer. I had an issue with that. So that's my only thing. Everything else, five stars. So this is going to be an A24. Wow. Cool. Uh, Kevin, let's go to you next. All right. So this is a movie that I did not enjoy watching while I was watching it. Cole has alluded to this, and as someone who suffers from a high degree of anxiety, while watching this film, I was doing it for this podcast and taking notes to distract myself as much as possible while still trying to enjoy it. That being said, this is a very good film. So I don't want my displeasure in watching it because of the content to take away from all of the great things that this movie brings to the forefront. Like, we looked at it from a perspective of heartbreak, from horror, you know, fear, and of course the love that also comes throughout this entire film. It made me examine my relationships with my family, and I'm sure it made you all think about it as well. And anybody who watches this film and is lucky enough to kind of go through and deep dive into A24's library is going to be really rewarded with an excellent, excellent film that's going to stick out in all of the other films that they've ever watched. I can guarantee this movie is unlike anything that I personally have ever seen. And for a lot of our listeners and viewers, I believe the exact same thing. Uh, we touched on all of the awesome things that bring into it, but the fact that this is, and Eric, you just said it, the, the, or Kelly just said it, the right out of the gate, this is what we get from this guy. It's almost like he spent his whole life kind of preparing and thinking about this moment, and he finally got an opportunity to, to get it out there. And it is it is brilliant as, as his own internal dialogue is, and I think that's a really, really important part of what makes this movie awesome. Um, I will recommend it to my friends and family because I think that it's something that they need to see because it does stick out as something so unique um, in cinematography and in history in general. I loved the book ending of the stills at the front and the end. I thought that was just an absolutely brilliant choice um, to kind of return the viewer to the emotion that you felt at the beginning, not having any idea what was going to happen. And now we get the exact same emotion at the end where we have no idea what's going to happen. She's about to get kicked out to the street and the world is, you know, a cruel place. And that's, like Kelly said, you don't want that gratifying ending. You don't want to feel that sense of goodness. You want to feel the, the raw, that raw feeling that we've had this entire movie. You don't want that fluff at the end. You want to just stick it like an open wound and just let it sit there because it just makes you feel... And we've said it so many times on this podcast, I feel like you could count it. And if a movie makes you feel it is done exactly what the intention of that director. And Eric, you even started off with the whole commentary at the beginning, whether or not we should feel what was intended or what we see. And I made the comment that it's the exact same, and that's what makes it so brilliant. Um, I could talk on this for, for hours, but I won't. Go see this movie. Give yourself the time. It's an A24 for sure. Um, and it just needs to be regarded as that. All right. Uh, Blaze, let's go to you next. <clears throat> yeah, uh, two very, very great reviews. I 100% agree with both of you. 
I think from a technical standpoint, uh, it was flawless. I think the sound design, I think the cinematography, and I just think that even though it's just a house, I think just the way that the house was set up for the angles, I think it all worked into a perfect storm. I thought the acting was pretty phenomenal for a bunch of non-actors. So, I mean, there were, like I said, there was a couple, you know, I could nitpick a couple of the acting choices, but I think the authenticity of it outshined some of the poor acting. Eric didn't ask me about the death of the author uh, part, and it's insane because I actually, like, that's the first I heard of it, but it's crazy how well the director, the faces were interchangeable with probably people in your own life. Like, I can look at it, it and look at family members in my own life, and I think the big takeaway of this movie is it takes a village, and this woman was away from her family's life for so long and this family they're upper middle class and they just have the you know we all know those people that just have their nose stuck up at you for no reason other than to see you fall and the fact that this woman had no support um i mean it just i I say requiem for a dream because it's that hard to watch because you know that this person can get help so I don't have anxiety like y'all, but I was definitely feeling the anxiety. Um, I've definitely been put in that place before. I've been on both sides. I think it's human nature to judge others, and it's also human nature to want to be helped by people. And sometimes the help never comes. So with all that said, this is by our like 31st movie, I believe. And out of the, out of the 20 or so that I have never seen before, this is... Uh, by far my favorite. It's up there with Ex Machina. It's up there with, you know... And we can just, you know, talk about it for hours if we wanted to. And I know I don't want to bore everyone with, uh, you know, my glowing praise. But I'm going to give it an A24. Not think about it. But I'm never going to watch it again. Because it was very, very, very hard to watch. So, you watch it, but... <laughs> Guys, uh, just wait till Uncut Gems. You'll you you don't know anxiety until you've watched that movie. So, oh, fantastic! Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Got Cole, that to look forward la- to. Last review here. I told me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I think this is probably one of the only movies that I can think of, or or maybe even exist that I think everyone should watch but no one will ever want to again, right? Like, this movie is, is one that I think is does such a, like, a, a good job with a powerful message and one that everyone Have you ever seen hear. Armageddon? <laughs> I, that's a great movie. I watched that Hey, hey, hey. Hold on, no. <laughs> anyway, sorry. But, um, you know, the, the themes of this movie and the way it's shot and the way that it just, like, stresses me the fuck out and, like... I I hated this movie. Like straight up just despised watching this movie and I will never want to do it again. But is it a fantastic or like a fantastic film? It's it's phenomenal what he was able to accomplish and do and like I hated it because of how real and how how well it was portrayed and how he you know he he got these emotions through the screen to me. And um for a person that loves like slice of life and all that stuff, I, this is right up my alley. But fuck, I was going to ask you not, that, Cole. This is this is very... not this is not the slice that I want, man. This is not in my pie, buddy. Um, yep. I I like when I finished like I legit when I finished this movie, I was like, "There's I'm fucking I'm giving this thing a D. Fuck this movie. I'm moving on." But like 
you know, looking at the notes and, I, and, and, and retrospectively, um, there's a reason why I felt that way, right? And it's because of how fantastic he did with this film and how, um, you know, everything about this movie is fantastic besides the what it's about, right? So with all that being said, I'm going to give it an A-. minus. It's an A film, but fuck, man, I'm gonna give it a minus because I, I don't, I just want to give it something a little bit less. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So, uh, what to say that hasn't been said yet? Uh, I, I was actually, I was a little bit in Cole's camp uh, to start this. I, I had so much appreciation for the acting, the music, and the cinematography. It's just the ending kind of, uh, it just kind of dropped out. It was very abrupt, and I was wondering why you know, uh, Trey Edward Stoltz might have done that. But then I thought about the death of the author, and that's why I kind of started this whole podcast that way. Like, doesn't matter what he thought or what he wanted the audience to feel. I, I think we're just supposed to feel this is rock bottom. This is her at complete rock bottom. Uh, and I, I think something that we didn't really touch on is how embarrassing addiction can be, too. I just felt completely embarrassed for her constantly at the end. Um, and when you are somebody, you know, with alcoholism or, you know, any kind of uh, addiction, when you're at your rock bottom, it's extremely embarrassing for you and for everyone around you. And that is just what I got in my core when I watched that ending. And that's, I think, a feeling that I don't get from a lot of other portrayals of addiction. We get a lot of other portrayals of addiction where you kind of, I don't know, it's almost romanticized in a way. It's like, the writer with, uh, you know, that drinks too much because they're such a romantic. And, you know, you, you get a lot of you, kind of strange depictions of addiction. Even going back to The Spectacular now, it was kind of like this funny, happy-go-lucky guy. But then he ends up, you know, like it, there's some sad parts of that film, but nothing that made me feel so gut-wrenching like this did. So, you know, I I got to give it props for that. I think I'm going to be with Cole Give it an A minus twenty four with maybe more of a budget. Like this could have even been done better for what it was and what he was given. You know, it's it's a pretty damn good movie and one of the probably greatest portrayals of addiction that I've seen uh, in movie form before. So yeah, A minus twenty four for me. And there we are. Yeah. Well done, Trey. There's another A24 movie in theaters right now, which this one gave me very similar vibes, and it was The Whale, which Mm -hmm. similar Mm. kind of energy that this movie gave off. Wait, what? Why did you only want to watch Armageddon once? Yeah, what <laughs> because it was such say? a fucking horrible movie. Uh, uh, <laughs> oh, oh, my God. It's one of the worst movies of all time. We another episode right now Fuck. about the the reason why It's one of the worst movies of all time. A shitty movie, sir. Like, is it because Liv Taylor has sex to her own dad's song? I don't want to close my eyes. <laughs> it's because it was a completely cheesy, like, fucked up movie. And Cole, for someone who loves, like continuity in movies. I can't believe you like that movie. There's so many continuity errors in that movie. That's a popcorn film. We're not gonna drill drill into a meteor that's about to stop and blow up the world. That movie is just like complete like high fantasy but if you go into it with it like high fantasy just like action film of like fuck yeah we're going to save the world we're going to blow up a fucking asteroid you're like hell yeah like if I could go for a ride baby. Yep. Yeah man. No. Alright yeah I can't agree. All star, love it. <laughs> All right, love well, it. if oh, you uh, have not rated us, rated us yet, please rate us and subscribe to us, and uh, 
you know, keep in touch. We're we're doing these movies every two weeks now, and we're reviewing every single A24 in chronological order of distribution. So, thank you for listening, and uh, we will see you next time. Uh, and Bye. the next film Bye. is Green Room. Green Room. Green Watch Room. It. That's a good one. That's a great one.